this is Rachel Lynn, and you are listening to Upstage Left. I'm a little bit nervous to release this episode, because this episode is different than all the other ones, in that Kendall Kafaro, who works with me on the show, convinced me that it would be a good idea for me to be interviewed and to talk a little bit about myself and the show. So we did that. We recorded this episode in April of 2022, a little while ago, and listening back, uh, I, I definitely feel empathy for my guests because it's so vulnerable and I'm just editing and cringing at some of the things I said and I'm just hoping that maybe, you know, I don't know, somebody listening will find it useful or interesting and hopefully not be offended. Uh, I also should say that I mispronounced Martina Mayok's last name in the episode. So just for the record, I know it's Mayok. I apologize. I'm sorry, Martina, if you are listening. Yeah. So this is my nervous intro for this episode. I am excited about the guests we have coming up later this year. But for now... This is what we have. Thank you for tuning in. And here is me talking to Kendall Kafaro. All right. Hi, Kendall. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm super excited to be doing a podcast with you. For, for those who don't know, my name is Kendall, and I am uh, the social media manager for Upstage Left. So sometimes if you see that we've seen a show twice, it may be that Rachel has seen the show, and then I went and also saw the show and posted about it. I know some people will like comment in and be like, didn't you already? And I'll be like, actually, it's a different <laughs> person because <laughs> we're both yes. posting on there. Yes, that's right. Kendall yeah. does an amazing job helping me with the socials and also just, you know, making sure that I stay on track. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the podcast. You're helping me keep it going. So thank you. Thank you so much. So I I have, I've prepared some questions for you because I'm, I'm, I'm Rachel's friend, but I'm also a big fan of Rachel's. And I feel like our relationship, I feel like I look up to you so much and like how much you always have going on. And I feel like you are in so many different spaces, like so many different kinds of artistic and creative spaces. Like you're on Law and Order right now. Um, but I also know like as a theater artist, you are a part of the Ensemble Studio Theater. I know you have like a lot of experience working at the Flea and you have like, you've done like a bunch of residencies for like your own original work. And I just wanted to ask you like, what makes for you like an ideal creative space or like a space where you feel like most free and like excited to make things or be a part of work? That's a great question. I think having gone through so many spaces, a lot of the times the thing that called out to me mm -hmm. for those spaces, for example, the Flea and, you know, Ensemble Studio Theater was for me at that time in my career, the work they were doing felt like it was work I could be and should be working on. Right. And so how I found my way to the flea was that at the time I was really in love with this theater company, Vampire Cowboys, and they were working with the flea. And I saw that a bunch of my peers were, were doing a play of theirs. 
And I was like, oh, I should work here because I am also a non-equity actor right now. And the mm-hmm. fleet is obviously doing work that I like. So not really knowing that much about it, I joined that company and you had to audition to get in. And I mm-hmm. didn't even get in the first time. So I just kept going back. And then with Ensemble Studio Theater, kind of around that same time, I was just trying to figure out how to be a theater artist. And right. I would go to Ensemble Studio Theater's website and see who their alumni were. And at that time, you know, Amy Herzog had just written 4,000 Miles. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the first roles written for an East Asian character that I felt like, oh, I, not that I so much identified with, but I could play that. And this is somebody who's writing East Asian characters who, you know, at the time there weren't that many roles for us. And so I just thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I saw that Annie Baker was an alum and I thought, oh, what a cool space. And I, I noticed that everybody who, whose name was on that roster was, you know, much more ahead of me in, mm-hmm. in terms of career. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know, I'd planted a little seed that was like, it would be very cool to be a part of this theater company and a little bit farther down the line, I started working there. Awesome. So you were doing doing that and doing those different things. And then a few couple of years ago, you started this podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about why you started this podcast and what was interesting to you about starting a theater podcast? Yeah, it was a it was a combination of a few things. In undergrad, I was listening a lot to this podcast downstage center that was produced mm-hmm. by American Theater Wing that Howard Sherman would host. And they stopped producing it kind of right around the time I graduated, but I would be listening to Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters and all of these people talking about their experience. And I so enjoyed that podcast, but I did feel a little bit distant from it because Howard Sherman didn't really talk to me. I didn't, I felt like he wasn't asking the questions that I was interested in. And I also felt like a lack of diversity in the guests made me feel like the people who he's interviewing are not similar to me or they, they didn't, come up in the way I came up. And so mm. that there was a space I felt that needed to be filled in terms of the artists I was interested in talking about their careers. So there was that. The other thing was a lot of my friends were coming up and getting big jobs that they were being recognized for for the first time. And I was amazed by that and I wanted to celebrate them. And so this podcast felt like a way I could not only celebrate them, but find out about how they were doing and what they were doing that might be different than what I was doing to get to where they were. Mm. And the last thing was that I was going through a heartbreak. I had I had went through a breakup that really <laughs> shifted things for me. And I think breakups are for me are a really good catalysts for work because they kind of put me in a fuck it mental space you know so yeah sure <laughs> they kind of yes. they're, it's like you know what I'm just gonna make this and it doesn't have to be perfect and right. let me just do it you know yeah absolutely have there been things that have like surprised you about like talking to these different guests or things that have come up that have like really excited you I one of the biggest things that surprised me was Martina Mayok saying yes to talking to me and her generosity (laughs) Hmm. because also we recorded that interview and I want to say it was in 2020 it was around the time of the pandemic because we were doing it over zoom that's right we were it was in the pandemic Hmm. and we did a whole interview and then she emailed me and we did it again because you know so we were just free-flowing in that first interview and Mm -hmm. some stuff came up that I think was of a sensitive nature and so we just decided to do it again and that generosity to me was Mm. stunning (laughs) She had already, you know, won the Pulitzer. Right. And it was just, it 
it was a great reminder that you can be super successful and still maintain this humility and um, generosity. So that was one of the greatest gifts that this podcast has given me. Yeah. What was it like doing a theater podcast during, I mean, we're still, listen, we're, we're still in the pandemic, um, but how was it doing it like through, through the pandemic? Yeah, I, it was hard and yeah. we've talked about it. We talked about this last yeah. night, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So right when the pandemic happened, it was great because I had a lot of time. So I actually just mm-hmm. lined up five interviews at the top of the pandemic that I then mm-hmm. edited as we went. Um, actually, one of the interviews I never got to publishing, which was, uh, yeah, one of the interviews is still lingering in my in my files. And part of that is as the pandemic wore on, I became less and less excited about theater and right. what was happening until Joshua William Gelb started making stuff. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. I I want to talk to Josh because, you know, what he's doing is so innovative and actually theatrical. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, at a certain point in the pandemic, it felt yeah. endless. Like there was going to be no end to whatever right. we were doing on Zoom. <laughs> you yeah, know? absolutely. Have you noticed a change, you know, now that we're out, we're out and about like seeing a bunch of things all the time. Have you noticed... Have you noticed like your relationship with theater? Do you feel like it's changed at all? It has. And I am not sure if I have changed, if it's me Mm. or if it's theater. Mm. I can't tell. I mean, I think part of it is now we're making things with masks and protocols and a lot less. We haven't been embodied Mm. in so long, two-ish years. So people are figuring out how to get back into rooms and be with each other and share space. That's part of it. And the other part is, because of that, people are feeling like the backlog or something, like the pressure mm. to fill seasons or yes, we promised yeah. all these artists these productions. Yeah. So now we're going to do them. Everything feels a little compressed or there's not enough breath with work. Right. And maybe it's the way I'm taking it in, too, because I feel like yeah. I'm catching up and I'm trying to mm-hmm. see everything. And so the joy of seeing stuff feels like it's been sucked out or something or absolutely yeah. everything feels like it's got a vacuum <laughs> sucked uh, yeah. you know yeah I know for me like in my experience over the pandemic I, th- I think I was so into into like my career and like what my career is gonna be and like how- and then the pandemic really took that away <laughs> because oh, I couldn't really think about that when there wasn't like much going on. So then I feel like I had my own space to actually think of things that were like interesting to me as an artist, as opposed to someone who's trying to navigate having a career like Mm. in the theater. Did you find during the pandemic as an artist, things you were experiencing or like thinking about that maybe if you hadn't have had that space that you wouldn't have had the time to like think about otherwise? Yeah, I think What the pandemic did that was amazing was that Mm -hmm. it actually gave us, I don't want to say us, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but it does feel like there was a collective breath, inhale. And, you know, what came out of the pandemic was Dear White American Theater. And we had a lot of the, the fled and people stepping up and saying, hey, we can't, actually, this is not in alignment. The way we're making theater is not in alignment with how we want to be in in the society that we're living in in this moment. And I think a lot of theater artists reevaluated what it means to make a living and to exist as a theater maker. And I don't know that we've seen that change yet. Mm-hmm. 
I think theaters are trying harder to kind of fulfill the living wage thing as best they can. Resources are so limited and I understand that. But I think we all kind of, I mean, I know I did questioned the kind of work I want to be doing in the theater and, you know, trying to figure out what is exciting to me now. Before the pandemic, I was talking to some students recently and I and I used to say that my measuring stick for whether or not I would do a project is, does it pay the right amount? Is it in the right location, the right space or venue? And do I like the part? And if it was two of those three things, I would usually say yes. You know, and if it was not two of the three, then, you know, you pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't know that that I'm, I'm still using that bar. Mm. It is. Uh, <laughs> It's subject to change now, I guess, because things are a little bit different post-pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. This feels like a good time to say that Kendall will be about to enter a contract for four months at Utah Shakes, playing uh, Helena in All's Well and Mm -hmm. Cordelia in Lear. And I think that's really exciting. So even though you you say you feel like, like you couldn't push your career forward, it seems like on the other side of this, you know, whatever work you were doing during that break has led you to this next big stepping stone. So exciting. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I've been thinking about that too, of like why I say yes to certain things. I, I don't know from my experience being, you know, going to an undergrad program and then coming out, you know, it's like, I'm going to take what is offered. Like I, if I get a job, like an acting job or someone wants me to act, I'm going to probably say yes. And then I think that that was another thing that's like changed in the past couple of years is like, oh, like, like having more choice and knowing that choice is yeah. like more available. Yes. You know? And I think Part of that is possibly experience, right? As you right. work more, you you can are more entitled to make right. choices, possibly. But I also think the pandemic did something which mm-hmm. made us realize that a lot of theater spaces were treating actors with this, you should be so lucky. Absolutely. Relationship, you know, you should be so lucky to be here. You should be so lucky to cast in this. And suddenly we were, everybody said no. That is not the way it should operate. <laughs> yeah. Williamstown, it's not okay. I should oh not gosh. feel so lucky to pay $3,200 to, to move ladders. That is not that is not a relationship that should be happening. And that, I think, is an amazing change and hopefully one that artists can feel confident in saying, no, this is not. that's not the relationship that should be existing between me and this institution. Yeah, absolutely. I have some friends who shifted, you know, during the pandemic and who are like, actually, I'm not going to act anymore. I'm going to do this other thing. And I think it gave me a newfound respect for like actors and artists. And, you know, as a member of this community, I'm sure I'm biased, but I'm like, I'm like, we're actually wholly capable. I think we're capable. You know, we love, you know, what I know. I like I love what I do. Like I love acting and I love and I think for me, it's like my only path that I'm really interested in. But I I think just like what you're saying, we'll lose people. We'll just lose artists and actors if if things don't change, like and if theaters aren't like taking care of people more and if theaters are causing, you know, or artistic spaces in general are like causing harm. We'll lose voices and we'll lose people who are going to just do other things. Right. And it's not even like we're wholly capable. It's more, I think, that we are the heartbeat in a lot of ways. Right. You, I think theater, the institution has diminished the actor's role. Absolutely. Really, we are on par in importance as the playwright and the director. You know, right. we bring our vision to the role or whatever it is to tell the story. And I think 
that needs to be acknowledged. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we did, Rachel and I met doing a six-week conservatory program with Fiasco Theater. Mm. So that was fall of 2019. And this, I want to say, this must have been before shutdown. I got to see a work like a workshop of Rachel's solo show oh. um, that I loved. And I'm not sure if this is, is this the same piece that you are going to be working on in residence with, is it all for one theater? Is that yes, that's the, right. co- the cohort you're a part of? Is this, is this that show? Yes. I'm going to develop that show with AFO and Amazing. AFO. They also developed the gift project, which we saw, last which night. we love. Yeah. <laughs> Diana owes the gift project. Oh my gosh. It just absolute tears. I think, I think last night was the last night, right? Tonight is. Or tonight is. There will be other iterations. High recommends. So good. First five minutes, I was a mess, <laughs> an absolute mess. There's nothing like crying under a mask. Exactly. But, yeah. um, um, while simultaneously like rocking out, <laughs> while simultaneously being like, yeah, it's a concert too. So this this piece that you're going to develop, can you can you tell us like a little bit about it and like, or, or do you want to? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. amazing. Um, it's a piece I've been working on for a little while now, and it's inspired by my personal experience and it features letters written to me by my estranged father who I didn't know growing up but messaged me for the first time when I was 23 Mm -hmm. and I interviewed my mom around 2017 and I think East Asian well my family were not the best communicators and so my my mother and I had never really talked about her story Mm. coming to America and leaving leaving you know communist China in the 80s and moving actually she moved to Manchester England first by herself Mm. and we had never really talked about how she ended up there or anything like that so this interview was the first time we kind of even broached the subject and so the piece that I'm working on will feature you know my father's text my my mother's interview and just stories about growing up undocumented in the United States, uh, which I was for the first, you know, 10 years of my life. What was like the moment that you decided to like start this project? Has it been something that's always kind of been like in your head for like years? And then one day you were like, okay, I'm going to start working on it. Or did something happen where you were like, I'm, I'm going to start working on this piece now? You know, it was... I don't know. Maybe I thought maybe my the seed was planted in the event of my father reaching out to me because it felt mm. so unreal at the time. Yeah, I was like, yeah. "What is what is happening?" Yeah. You know, it felt like it was in a movie, and yeah. it only kept getting more and more <laughs> weird and dramatic. Wild. Okay, yeah, and absolutely. He in his letters, he would. When I told him that I was an actor, he was so dismissive about it. And then he was trying to, you know, a lot of his letters, I stopped responding to him pretty early on, but he would try to convince me to not be an actor. Like he would write in his letters, I I dream that maybe you can learn how to play the piano and teach it to children. Or have you ever thought about doing the news? Tutoring could be a good profession. All these suggestions of other jobs besides acting or the thing that I had chosen. And so it felt like, the only way that I could reach back out to him to explain myself was to make this show. Right. And, you know, these letters that he was writing me were over the course of seven years and I never wrote him back. And so I think year after year I would get them and I would think, okay, you know what? I have to, I have to make something about this. I think 
Otherwise, why is this happening? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like make trying to like maybe make sense of what of a nonsensical like situation or yeah. something that's wild. Yeah. But it actually comes back to the thing we we're talking about earlier, which is heartbreak, right? Heartbreak is a great right. catalyst for work for me absolutely. and possibly for other people. Um, and my whole relationship with him has felt like a kind of a heartbreak. And so just you know, unearthing that whole thing felt like something necessary. And also Diana said it in her show last night, but, and I think about this in terms of my whole career, I I don't, I never was like, I want to be an actor. I want to be on stage, Mm. you know, but it does feel like existing, being seen is a kind of advocacy for people who don't get seen. And having lived in this country undocumented as a child you I felt like when I when I came to the theater it felt like an antidote to being invisible it was giving myself permission to exist you know in some ways we'll we'll take a nice beat for that that's amazing (laughs) 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 me being like pregnant pause um yeah I mean that's I I think too I, I bring up your piece because I I like I'd worked at the fiasco and immediately was like a fan. I don't know, like learning all, like learning that about you or like learning about that experience and like your take on that experience. Also too like watching the sh- like watching your performance of the workshop. It was also so like hilarious. Like like the <laughs> way like your humor with it of being like and it's also because of what you said too. It was just like wild to like watch and like as you go through these emails that are like real everyone's like oh oh my gosh. And I also loved watching you be your mom was like so mm. f- I don't know. That was just such a I you said too like there was never like a moment that you were like I'm gonna be you know an actor and I'm gonna be like this but I don't know when because I you know you went to NYU after going to Stuyvesant High School um (laughs) you know and like to study acting and things like that was that how was your mom like about she had like a take on you deciding you know I'm gonna be an actor and a theater artist and make my way like doing that Oh yeah, uh, strong take. I think there was, a, there was an intervention. She hired somebody who I had never oh, before met oh. in my life to talk me out of going to acting school. Uh, it was like a come to Jesus moment. And I reacted as any teenager would, which was to say, fuck you, loudly and often. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think my mother came here with the immigrant dream and hoped that I would sure. follow the path of sure. becoming what she could and never. And she mm-hmm. made a lot of sacrifices. And I think that's a very common immigrant narrative is like your parents coming and saying, we've sacrificed everything for you. And now mm-hmm. you must become the savior of this family. <laughs> you know, the entire future of our family rests on your shoulders. And I think um, that's a lot of pressure. And I think Stuyvesant was the perfect pressure cooker for me to be in that kind of forced me to break that all apart. And, and it, it was too hard. That school was too hard for me. Commuting, commuting one hour each way. Right, right. Being with these hyper competitive, hyper smart people. I just didn't have, I didn't have the resources. And I didn't have the context. I'm amazed at when I think about children now, and I did some tutoring during the pandemic, that was one of my day jobs was tutoring. It is you can't underestimate the power that just even 
being around people who are educated every day, the things you talk about are different. You have a total different context for the world. You know who Shakespeare is. You know who you know, certain thinkers are. You listen to different kinds of music. You're exposed to so many different kinds of things. Maybe you've gone to the theater. When you don't have that, when you come from a family that doesn't speak English as their first language, your worldview is so different. And so in high school, in junior high school for immigrant kids, and or for me at least, it was a lot of catch up, just understanding, mm. you know, how to read something. I still don't know how to read something, really. I, I struggle with a lot of that because I was trying to consume too much information at one time. And it was too hard to process it. So even just like cognitive thinking skills in terms of how to take in information was, was challenging. Uh, and so I felt like theater was one of the only places that I could not feel like a, I mean, I felt like a failure a lot of times, but I didn't feel like at a huge disadvantage. That's not true, actually, mm. because, you know, when you come from money, you can pay for lessons, dance sure. lessons, all this yeah, shit. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I don't know. It just felt easier than being a huge disappointment in terms of math and science. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're like, I'm actually just not even going to go down that route. So then no one can say, you know, yeah, I didn't exactly. You're well, like, I didn't actually, fail it that I didn't do it. Actually, Yale did uh, reject me early decision. So that also was like, okay, well, I guess if it's not Yale, then it's, you know, the gutter. If it's not <laughs> Yale, I'm not involved. <laughs> yeah, I won't yeah. be involved. And that's something that has crossed over to the <laughs> to theater as well. You know, I'm just kidding. Right, right, um, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Yale has its own troubles, but uh, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Because I, 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 the only reason I really knew that like theater and acting was a path is because my brother is a musician. Um mm. And he like went to school for music. And I remember being like, oh, that's like an alternative path. You know, like that's not mm -hmm. something I had really considered until like he went to college for that. And I was like, oh, there's probably college for like a bunch of things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I thank you for sharing that because I do think you're from Michigan. Right? Yeah. The Midwest. Yes. Yeah. And. I did a show right before the pandemic in Montana and we would do mm -hmm. talkbacks and I did feel like the path of the artist is so stigmatized and not just there, obviously I went through it too, you know, mm -hmm. but I, I hope that as we move forward, we can destigmatize being an artist more people asking questions like, isn't it hard or how do you make a living? You know, these things I think are, you know, those are the wrong kinds of questions. Not that there's right and wrong, but those aren't the questions that are useful sure. to be asking about choosing your life as an artist. Yeah. I, I want to reframe. I'm hoping that with this podcast and other things that I make, that we can reframe why why people become artists and how how we can be artists. You know, it's not just about getting jobs and making more money. Even I know that sounds so maybe privileged to say that. But I do, you know, I haven't fully formed this thought. Uh, <laughs> but when people ask me questions like that, I feel like they're trying to disempower me or make me feel small. Hmm. And I want them to ask themselves, why are they asking this question yeah. rather than having to, to carry the burden of their fears, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely felt that too. I felt that a little bit too during the pandemic of, you know, because I was like supposed to go away, like a lot of people on like these theater contracts and then they got shut down. And and I think some people um, 
Not very many. I have a very supportive, I feel like my family is like very supportive of things and like our friends generally are. But there were a couple of comments that were like, well, what are you going to do now for work? And I'm like, oh, you were just waiting. Mm. I was like, you were waiting for me to like (laughs) for something to be like not working as an act that there is such like stigma around that, like being an actor who's like not currently right now, like in a rehearsal, you know, and I'm like, yeah. I feel like people say that too to make themselves feel better about like their whatever, their jobs right. or their like life choices. Right. I'm like, that's about you. That's not about me. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. What's something that's like you're excited about, whether it's making art or like acting? Is there something or excited to see or what's exciting you? Well, the last thing that really, really excited me the gift project obviously was one thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but the other thing <laughs> that I've seen recently that really excited me was everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. You just saw that, right? Yeah. I just saw it. I just yeah. saw it a few days ago. And the reason being that it really felt like it was made for me, <laughs> which sounds yeah. crazy, but no, yeah. I. I had a, I had like an out of body experience watching it because it, I was laughing and crying and I was like oh I wonder if I don't know I'm doing air quotes now the mainstream audience is reacting this way or is it just because this matches my my lived experience so in mm-hmm. in some ways it, I'm seeing myself and experiencing seeing myself kind of for the first time right and I was like oh is this how if I looked like the people movies are usually made about if I looked like them when I watch movies would I have this experience you know (laughs) so I was like whoa my mind was kind of blown and so I'm really excited about more diversity in the stories that are being told about people who aren't whose stories have been historically told about And it's also the layers of that, too, like not just representation, but also like it's like diversity within diversity. Like it's not Mm -hmm. just about seeing people of color or like East Asian, like all like it's not just about seeing like different faces. It's seeing those faces and then going into all of the different stories that exist within those spaces. I think that's what I love about streaming platforms and things like the amount of media that's able to come out through those that aren't just competing for like box office spaces or things like that is you get to see like diversity within you know you get to see just so much more yeah Um, and I'm hoping that that same thing will happen in the theater soon because it really hasn't I don't think sure in the theater I feel like diversity is a commodity you know in a way oh my gosh yeah and (laughs) so actually there's no there hasn't been real or there's very little that I've seen real humanity in diverse stories it's great they feel right now to me kind of like stepping stones like okay let's do this this experience's story so that now that we've done this maybe we can get to the more actually human and nuanced and interesting stuff you know not just the stuff that subscribers can see and say ah yes this must be what it's like to be a blank kind of person you know which sometimes is what i'm doing air quotes again, diverse stories uh, look like on stage to me. Yeah, like just educating white audiences in the theater. I do feel like it's that sometimes, especially when the su- subscriber base looks a certain way and the board looks a certain way and the artistic teams, right. it's like when we have, again, like 
air quoting like a diverse <laughs> stories. It's like really for the purposes of educating. It feels that it is for the purposes of educating white right. audiences about a certain whatever. And it's complicated, you know, Taylor Reynolds and I talked about this in the episode we just recorded, mm-hmm. but, you know, the white gaze, G-A-Z-E, is pervasive and complicated and right. it is something to constantly have, you have to reevaluate your relationship to it because mm. we all went to school, we all have gone through institutions in some way, and so in some ways it's already in da- been downloaded subconsciously into our brains, mm-hmm. so how do we challenge it within ourselves and question 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 ourselves but also not lose who we are you know i think that's something that i can do which is be like you know ask myself wait am i am i responding to this this way because of my programming or because mm. i actually like it you know i'm i'm always trying to like figure out what it is i like and what it is i actually want to work on kind of thing so yeah absolutely you know? yeah is there something like like with in the next like if you were to say like in the next like five years in the next like 10 years is there like something like a role or like some project or something you want to make that you're like super jazzed about is there is there something that you're like I've always wanted to do that and maybe I'm gonna do it Mm. I am excited about the possibility of about the possibility of coming closer to working with the people I so admire you know wow yeah who's aesthetic I'm so obsessed with and people I would include in that I mean I haven't worked with them yet but you know just talking about like vampire cowboys I don't even know if they exist anymore but people who are making things that I think are fun and weird and don't know who I am I'm always like oh maybe they'll know who I am but there are also a lot of young artists whose work I adore like Amanda Keating and Mm. Mara Nelson Greenberg who I've Mm. I actually haven't worked with but you know I dream about one day working with them or yeah their work being produced more and more and so that you know there will be more opportunities to work with them that's that's what I'm excited about absolutely very cool and to work with you again hopefully soon to work with me yeah we'll do something we will yeah I feel I feel good about it (laughs) (laughs) um thank you for your thoughtful questions Thank you so much for um, talking to me, for doing this. I love this podcast. Again, I'm partial because um, I do social media for it and I love, but I, I just really love you creating these spaces. And I also, I'm happy. I, it was fun to like talk more about you and your things because I, I think it's such a, a wealth of um, awesomeness. <laughs> that's, the, that's the, that's the label I'm using. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's, That's what perfect. I've decided. It's a fountain of just wonderful things. So, um, yeah, it was great talking to you. Yay. <laughs> okay, that was me talking to Kendall Kafaro. I hope you enjoyed the episode and maybe, I don't know, found it interesting. If not, don't worry, there are lots of more interesting people who I'll be talking to soon. As always, thank you for listening. Follow us on Instagram, share this podcast with a friend, send us notes. We love chatting with people. Until next time, have a great day.